Transmitting from the lovely little city of Taylor, Texas, you are listening to Plow and Hose, a show dedicated to the joys and challenges of organic backyard gardening in Central Texas. I am your host, Julie Rydell. Welcome to the show. Hi there, plant people. Hey, what's going on? You know, here we are just after Labor Day and, you know, I guess we're pretty much into mid-September now. And we had some really nice, really welcome, cool spell. Didn't we? Don't you think, though? It was, like, really refreshing with that rain. And, you know, it lasted a few days, but now it's hot again. I mean, it's not too terrible. Um, It definitely could be worse. But it did get me thinking that it was kind of a fake out we got this nice taste of cool damp weather and now we're back in the mid 90s and i find that kind of annoying but i'm going to be positive about it because it probably is not going to last forever eventually it will cool off so in the meantime um you know i was thinking about it and i thought maybe we could invent like a new holiday or at least like a new celebration to officially recognize this time of year in central Texas. And we can call it false fall. You know, it doesn't have to be like a big deal. Maybe just like a card sending kind of celebrations. We can send each other cards, you know, ones that have like a little saying on the front, like happy fall. And then when you open it up, um, it says psych, you live in Central Texas and you don't get a real fall. I don't know, but it could be fun, but probably not. But anyway, things around my yard are looking pretty good. They're nice and green anyway. And it's actually looking nice around Taylor too. Several of my plant friends um, commented this summer that it wasn't a really good year for flowers, and I have to agree with that. I just did not see as many flowers this summer. And, you know, it's the that extended heat, all those 100-degree days, and, of course, the drought, the lack of rain, for sure. But thanks to our false fall, It was just enough to stimulate a lot of those plants into blooming. And some of them are looking really, really good. They look spectacular, I think. Around Taylor and other parts of Central Texas, um, two plants in particular have really caught my eye because they are blooming like crazy right now. Lantanas and crepe myrtles. To me, neither of these plants did much this summer. especially the crepe myrtles. Now, depending on the variety, crepe myrtles bloom from May through fall. The ones that usually bloom midsummer did nothing, or at least they did not bloom as well as they normally do. They didn't bloom very much. And the ones that bloom late in the summer, like right now, 
they are looking really amazing. They look really great to me. And I've noticed that um, all the shades of the crepe myrtles are looking really good. But the ones that stand out to me the most are the dark pink, almost red blossoms. I think those are just really beautiful. And crepe myrtles are super great trees. They are one of the most interesting trees in my opinion. And there is just always something going on with them every single season. Crepe myrtles are wonderful plants to add to your landscape. They have nice dark green glossy leaves in the spring. And depending on what kind you have, um, some of them bloom early, like in May, and then others bloom in early summer. Some wait until later in the summer, and some bloom off and on in all into the fall. And they come in such a huge variety of colors, too. Um, all kinds, whites, reds, lavender, a darker purple, plus all the shades of pink from pale baby pink to hot pink. Some varieties um, will actually bloom after an earlier bloom. You just got to kind of read up on your crepe myrtles and find out which ones do what. Now, Central Texas isn't really known for having a very colorful fall season, you know, as far as the foliage goes. You know, there's not a lot of color change um, in Central Texas. But in the late fall, crepe myrtles come to the rescue and have some of the best and most colorful foliage. And it turns all the shades, vibrant and saturated shades of yellow, red, and orange, all the colors, all on one plant. Their leaves may be small, but they are one of the very best plants if you love the fall color change. And you know, as the year goes on, even in the winter, after they drop all of their leaves and they are bare, naked crepe myrtles, they are still really interesting because without their leaves and their flowers and nothing else to distract your eye, then that is when you can really appreciate their shape. Crepe myrtle trunks are, you know, they have multi, um, branches that form those trunks and they're really cool to look at. They're long and slender and they're smooth and they kind of remind me of like cinnamon sticks and I really like how the bark sheds and it peels off and leaves behind a really interesting multicolored mottled pattern on the trunks. Now I know some people when they first get crepe myrtles, they find this a little unnerving and a little concerning because, you know, when bark comes off of a tree, it's a really bad sign for like all other trees in the universe. <laughs> but for crepe myrtles, it's just something that they do. When they start shedding bark, that's a very good sign that they're going to be blooming soon. The thin bark will start to curl and then it pulls away from the trunks and then it just falls off to the ground. What they're doing is they're shedding last year's bark in the summer, right before they bloom. The old weathered and gray bark just kind of peels off 
and reveals a rich, warm, kind of rusty color um, underneath, and that's the new growth. And I think it's really pretty, but you won't really notice that until after they drop all their leaves. Um, well, you, you may, but it's really, really noticeable after the leaves drop and there's really nothing else to distract you. Um, crepe myrtles are so cool. And they're really different than other leaf lifts, trees, and shrubs during the winter. Crepe myrtles are trees, but they do come in so many different sizes as they do different colors. They range in size from dwarf trees that don't get like barely taller than five feet and they are basically shrubs. Taller trees can grow up to 50 feet tall, um, but there's also like an intermediate size that only gets to be about 12 feet tall. And all that information is there on the plant tag. So if you're looking for a particular size, check out the tag. Fall is a really great time to plant trees and shrubs. So take advantage of this time of year and get new plants in the ground. And while you're out shopping, if you're checking out the crepe myrtles, just pay attention to the tag and the variety because you don't want to get the wrong size for your space. You don't want to accidentally get one that's too big and you plant it too close to something and then you end up needing to trim it back because it's way too big. Or you accidentally get one that is doesn't get very tall and you're wanting it to get tall, that can be disappointing too. So just take a minute, pull out your phone, check the variety and check the tag. It should have all the information on the size. If you have established crepe myrtles at your house and they look messy or they need to be shaped, wait until spring. You don't want to prune or fertilize your crepe myrtles in the fall. You want them to go dormant in the winter so they have time to rest and then they will be really vigorous growers in the springtime. And that's when they're gonna put on new growth. So right now, ignore your crepe myrtles. Just admire them until spring. So don't fertilize or prune them now because if you do that, will stimulate them when they need to be resting. If you want to help your crepe myrtles um, this time of year, you know, after the leaves drop off, you can lay down some mulch and this is gonna help protect their roots and maintain even moisture through the colder weather. All right, now, one thing that you absolutely do not need to do ever is cut back your crepe myrtles. And just because you see people doing it or even like landscape professionals out there doing it, just going out there and lopping off the top growth, um, you'll see it happen like during the fall. And, you know, they, they saw off everything and just leave the trunks, no, no smaller branches or anything. It looks terrible. They look really, really sad. Don't do this looks awful. Um, this severe pruning is not needed and it doesn't do anything for them. I mean, some people believe that it promotes, um, 
more flowers in the springtime, but it doesn't. It doesn't do any of that. And it is, it can be actually really harmful because severe pruning, or as some people like to call it, crepe murder, you know, it, it may not outright kill the tree, but removing so many of those branches, you're removing strong, viable limbs And when it grows back in the springtime, you're going to have all this new growth that is weak and flimsy, and it's not going to be able to support any really heavy blossoms that come in the springtime. So they're just going to fall and droop over, and they won't look good. Severe pruning makes crepe myrtles also um, susceptible to rot and disease, in addition to being really ugly. So don't do it. It's not necessary. And you don't want to prune crepe myrtles in the fall or the winter anyway. So leave them alone, let them rest and grow naturally. If you are into hummingbirds and butterflies, it's an exciting time of the year because it's migration time for both of them. And thank goodness for all of the fall blooming plants and this amazing late flush of overdue blossoms like the crepe myrtles and the lantana. The lantana is finally looking really good and I'm so glad because it's a fantastic nectar plant for all of these migrating creatures. Lantana makes a great nectar plant for all kinds of butterflies and moths, but they also attract hummingbirds. Lantana is a really important source of nectar during migration through Texas. And I don't know if you know, but Central Texas is situated right in the middle of a major migratory corridor. Several species that overwinter in Mexico, like monarch butterflies and black-chinned hummingbirds, pass through our area in what is referred to as the Texas Corridor, and it basically follows the entire length of Interstate 35. And these little creatures travel up and down 35 from Minnesota to the Rio Grande Valley and then into Mexico. Texas is this big migration funnel, and if you want to attract the pollinators and the migrating critters to your yard is really important to have a variety of nectar plants. Generally speaking, pollinators prefer the native variety of a plant over the improved variety of a plant. Improved varieties are those plants that have been intentionally cultivated for a specific reason, usually for their flower color or fruit production. Native varieties are those that are true to their wild form. It takes a long time for native, um, I'm sorry, it takes a long time for species to adapt. So they tend to gravitate to the natives. They gravitate to what they are most familiar with and what they know. If you are really wanting to attract 
pollinators, then go for the native lantana over a cultivated variety. The butterflies and the bees are going to be much more interested in the nectar from the native lantana. But you know, there's nothing wrong with having both varieties in your garden. Native lantana grows kind of scraggly and it only comes in orange. So, you know, just find a place in your garden for it. And you can always get an improved variety that you enjoy more and put that one in for you. So some for the butterflies and some for you. Some cultivated lantana varieties are trailing plants and they stay quite low to the ground. They're low growing. Others grow upright and they're pretty bushy. And depending on the kind you have, a happy, healthy native lantana can get up to six feet tall and spread six feet wide. Lantana cultivars come in all colors except for blue. There are orange and yellow and red and pink and purple and white and their little tiny flowers form clusters which makes the flowers appear larger than they actually are lantanas um, can be like a single color like the entire plant is just one single solid color or they can be multicolored and I am pretty partial to the bright multicolored ones. Um, I bought one this year. It's called uh, Dallas Red, and I just think it's gorgeous. It's bright red, and then the center has orange flowers. It's so pretty. The multicolored ones are really beautiful, and the flowers, flower clusters radiate from the center, so light in the center, and then the gradually gets darker. It's like this gorgeous ombre. And there are just so many different kinds of lantana. There's pastel ones and really vibrant ones. And there is, there is absolutely something for everyone's taste and gardening style. So there's no reason for you not to have lantana in your garden. It does really great here. Lantana leaves are rough and sandpapery, and if you brush up on them, um, they have an odor. They're kind of stinky. Some people think they smell like cat pee. Um, I don't think they smell like that bad. They, they have more like a petroleum odor to me, like motor oil, but then it also kind of smells like bad citrus, like rancid citrus. It's not pleasant. If you are looking for a natural and sustainable way to improve the soil in your garden without spending a fortune on expensive soil amendments, try planting a cover crop. Cover crops have been used in agriculture for thousands of years as a way to naturally and sustainably improve soil quality. Cover crops aren't just for large-scale farming. Backyard gardeners can plant cover crops too. Planted in the ground, in raised beds, and even in containers, cover crops keep soil bacteria healthy, add nutrients, and prevent erosion while attracting pollinators and other beneficial insects. True Leaf Market offers a great selection of cover crop seeds, including their best-selling all-purpose garden cover crop mix, which is really popular with backyard gardeners. Order online at trueleafmarket.com 
and be sure to use promo code PH15 to save 15% on cover crop seeds at trueleafmarket.com. You are listening to Plow and Hose on KBSR Black Sparrow Radio. If you are enjoying my show, I hope you'll go over to www.blacksparrowmusicparlor.com and check out the station and learn all about the great shows and music coming out of our station broadcasting from Taylor, Texas. While you're out on the internet, be sure to stop by the Plow and Hose Facebook page and like and share it with your gardening friends or head over to where you get your podcasts and subscribe to the Plow and Hose podcast. If you like the flexibility of being able to play, pause, and rewind my show whenever you want, download some episodes and leave a review, please. It's super quick. And just click on those stars. This will help others organically find my show. It lets them know The Plan Hose is a good show. And it's really important for my show's statistics. So show some support, plant friends. I'd really appreciate it. Okay, so back to lantanas. Lantanas are easy plants. They love our soil and climate, but they are a little prone to a couple of issues, including powdery mildew and sooty mold. Powdery mildew usually isn't a problem unless your lantanas don't get enough sun. I've seen city mold more often on lantanas. Both powdery mildew and city mold are fungal diseases. Both of them can make your plants weak and cause them to drop leaves if you have a big issue with it. Mm, they also make your plant kind of unattractive because they make your plants look gray. And city mold also will um, develop a secondary fungus um, and it will have black spots so it kind of looks like smoke damage too. Sooty mold grows as a result of insect secretions on plants called honeydew. If you have an issue with aphids or scale or other sucking insects you're likely going to have issues with their excrement sucking bugs like aphids they use their mouth parts to suck the juices from the plants and since they eat a lot they poop a lot the plant juices are very high in sugars um, way more than the insects can process so what they don't use they excrete out and that sweet sticky substance is called honeydew so basically, honeydew, in spite of its cute little name, is bug poop. Sticky, sweet bug pee or poop. I don't know, excrement. And this fall, I guess it's not fall yet, but this time of year, right now, there seems to be a whole lot of it lately. So much that the grass and parts of my yard look looks shiny from it and I'm not the only one because I've seen a lot of people complaining about how much honeydew there is I've seen them complain like on Facebook about it now honeydew itself isn't harmful to the plants or to people or to pets but it can attract other insects like ants and then of course um, the honeydew and the sugars in it 
serves as a food for those funguses, fungi, um, especially the black city mold. It's gross. It's ugly to look at. And when the plants get that sooty mold, it looks terrible. Can possibly weaken your plant. So to get rid of black sooty mold, you need to get rid of the honeydew and the insects that secrete it. It just really depends on how much effort you want to put into it if you want to get rid of it. If you can catch it early, right when you notice the aphids, you can easily spray them with insecticidal soap to kill the bugs. If you have some sooty mold on a few leaves, you can just spritz it with your insecticidal soap and then rub the leaves gently to remove the honeydew and the mold. You can also snip off the diseased leaves. Um, if you end up with a bigger problem of sooty mold, you might want to just cut your plant back and let it regrow. You might want to wait until it starts to cool off before cutting it back too much, um, just because, you know, we're, we're still getting those 90s, so it could, could be a bit much for some plants. So um, insecticidal soap will take care of those aphids. And it's super easy and cheap to make. Just fill a spray bottle with some water, add a few drops of liquid dish soap and a bit of vegetable oil. Shake it up and then spray all of those soft body critters like aphids and mites. It works because the oil helps the soapy water stick to their little bodies and the soap is what dries them out and then they die. Since black sooty mold is a two-part problem, part fungus and part insect issue, you might want to consider using neem oil in place of plain vegetable oil in your homemade insecticidal soap. Neem oil is a great multi-purpose product. It's appropriate for organic gardening and it's a good fungicide as well as an insecticide. American snout butterflies are migrating and passing through central Texas right now. They seem to be all over the place and I've noticed tons of them all over town. They seem to flutter in pairs a lot, but um, they do kind of hang out in groups. These are those small brown butterflies that are just flitting all over the place looking for nectar. Um, as they are making their way south for the winter. Snout butterflies are little guys. Um, they are, their wings are only an inch so, uh, an inch or so. So altogether, their wingspan is like two inches. They're, they're pretty small. They are very active and they don't seem to rest very long. But if you are able to catch one or if you see one long enough, you'll notice that they have long mouth parts and extended antenna. They kind of like stick straight out of their bodies and it makes them look sort of like a leaf with a short stem when their wings are open. And since they're already brown and they've got like a little bit of orange on their wings, 
look and so they kind of like have this snout mouth and when their wings are open they look like a leaf and this is like pretty good camouflage if you ask me some migration years when the snap butterflies are coming through Texas, there are just so many of them that they can create kind of dark swarms. And there can be so many of them that they cause the sky to darken enough that it will show up on the weather radar. Now, it doesn't happen every year. Um, they've been tracking it and they have kind of figured out that it usually happens during years when there is a really, really long drought and then they get very heavy summer rain, like hurricane type rains. The drought reduces the number of um, natural predators, but also parasites that prey on snout butterflies. Then when those heavy rains come, that stimulates new growth on hackberry trees. Hackberry trees are the host plant for snout butterflies. The snout butterfly caterpillars eat the um, hackberry leaves. As adult butterflies, they sip nectar um, from plants. They prefer yellow and white flowers, like from Lantana, but they only hang out and lay their eggs on hackberry trees. Years when there aren't as many predators and they lay a whole bunch of eggs, they all those eggs will turn into caterpillars and then eventually butterflies. And those are the years when they seem to have the really huge population explosions. And the last time was 2020. That was when they had a really big year of tons and tons of snout butterflies coming through and migrating. And I do remember them talking about that, uh, talking about the butterflies showing up on the weather radar. So far this year, it seems to be a regular year for the snout butterflies. Um, I like butterflies, so I'm all for the butterfly swarms. Um, I think they're just really cute and charming and I love enjoying them flit around on the lantana. Now that we are in mid-September, we can sow lots and lots of seeds. It's getting to be just the tail end of the window for summer favorites like beans, cucumbers, summer squash, but we can also plant cool season seeds again. Now and all the way through the end of September, we can plant beets, broccoli, Brussels sprouts, cabbage, carrots, cauliflower, Swiss chard, collard greens, kale, kohlrabi, mustard greens, onions, radishes, and turnips. So see, I told you there was so much that we can be planting now. And you can start these from seeds or you can do transplants if you can get those. Um, you do need to be a little mindful about sowing these seeds directly in the ground right now because it's still September and it's still like 90 degrees and it can still get pretty hot. So you gotta think about your little sprouts 
because you don't want them to get stressed out and die from the heat because it could happen really fast. One thing you can do is put up some afternoon shade, erect a sheet or something and protect them from the afternoon sun. But you can always start most of these in trays or in pots and let them grow a little bit and then plant them when it's cooler. Just make sure that they get some good sunlight during the day. But also um, make sure that they have some afternoon shade because you don't want um, these seedlings that you're starting to um, burn up in your little pots because I've done that. It's sad. Don't do that. (laughs) Also, it's time to start thinking about spring wildflower seeds because if you want spring Texas wildflowers, you have to plant them before Thanksgiving. All of the pretty flowers, blue bonnets, red corn poppies, Mexican hats, Indian paintbrush, cone flowers, horse mint, all of those wine cups, they have to go in the ground this fall. And just like other plants, wildflowers need the right conditions to grow. Having a pretty little wildflower patch, unfortunately, isn't as easy as just tossing a packet of seeds out into the grass. I mean, you might get lucky and have something really wonderful pop up, but that kind of casual approach rarely results in something amazing, at least not in a predictable or reliable way, but to have a really nice wildflower patch, you just have to have a little effort and some planning and you can have a really nice patch in your yard. You just got to get started in the fall. Now we are two weeks into September now and we're at the perfect time to start figuring out what you want to do and what you want to plant and where you're going to put it. So be thinking about what wildflower seeds um, that you want to grow through the winter so that you will have them in the springtime. And if you haven't gotten any Texas wildflower seeds catalogs in the mail, um, go online and request them. There are a few companies that specialize in Texas native wildflowers, and they have really nice catalogs. So just go online, look for those, request those. Site selection and preparation are most important for wildflowers. Uh, That sounds counterintuitive because even though they are supposed to be wild, for most of us living in residential neighborhoods, we are going to have to do a little work to replicate the conditions to be a bit more like what wildflowers have out in the wild, which is not turf grass. But I'm not going to do that today. What I am going to do is I'm going to do my annual wildflower show next week. So be sure to catch that. All right. Well, thank you guys for joining me again this week. I sure enjoy doing the show and I will catch you next time. Production.
production assistance provided by KBSR, Black Sparrow Radio. Original music created by Alex Cuervo. Discover more of his music at alexcuervo.tv. If you love plants and gardening in Central Texas, be sure to click the subscribe button wherever you get your podcasts and never miss seasonal information on Plow and Hose. Plow and Hose is written and recorded at my home in Taylor, Texas.